Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today, we will unlock the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. In 2017, a student riot broke out at Evergreen State College in the U.S. The unrest sent the campus into a state of anarchy. The incident started with the Day of Absence, an annual event when staff and students of color absented themselves from the college as a mark of their importance. That year, in the shadow of the election of Donald Trump, however, the organizers came up with an innovative idea. Instead of the colored community staying away, they asked for white students and staff to stay away. A biology professor objected to the move and emailed other staff, arguing that the proposed change violated the event's original motivation. Their message suggested it was inappropriate to change the event from the voluntary absence of a self-appointed interest group to a request for others to miss a day. Although the event continued as planned, it was about a month later when certain students became aware of the email. Some interpreted the message as racist, it followed other incidents linked to racial bias, already prompting campus unrest. Many at the college confronted the professor. The conflict had soon sparked a large-scale protest that spread to countless others on campus. Protesters criticized their professors, screamed profanities, physically confined them, and demanded mandatory discrimination and intolerance training for college staff. That same year, Protests were organized at colleges across the United States, including UC Berkeley in California and the University of Virginia. Most of the protests happened because students felt that their colleges should not promote speakers and invite them to lecture if they had previously articulated inflammatory points of view, contrary to the values of the majority of students. Now people may question what made these students so defensive toward disagreeable opinions so much so that they went to extreme measures to take a stand. In recent news, there is a correlation between cases of student aggression towards others and increased rates of college suicides. Students cannot handle criticism, setbacks, and disappointment. The same goes for reported levels of depression in teenagers. What has made children so fragile mentally? This book suggests an answer, we may have set young people up for vulnerability. Issues of students' mental well-being have always been a central concern of the book's two authors, Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt. Working many years as educators, it came to their attention that some mainstream beliefs in education might be detrimental to the minds of the younger generation. They co-authored this book to highlight three significant misconceptions that desperately need our attention. Firstly, by assuming that children are inherently weak, we have made them become accustomed to protection. Cosseting has amplified mental fragility. Secondly, by asking children to blindly follow their gut feelings, we have made it more difficult for them to differentiate good from bad when they need to make a judgment. Thirdly, we have led children to think that those around them are either friends or people who mean to harm. As a result, they grow up presuming that life is a battle between good and evil. In recent years these ideas have become more and more prevalent, and the role of such assumptions forms the background to outbreaks of violence on campus. 
The book The Coddling of the American Mind examines the origins of these ideas and provides us with ways to counter them so that children can become more mentally resilient. Next, let us delve into the content of the book in three parts. Part 1 Three Bad Ideas That Are Harming Our Children. Part 2 Where Do These Bad Ideas Come From? Part 3 What Can We Do to Save Our Children? Part 1 Three Bad Ideas That Are Harming Our Children. Bad idea 1. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Some people reason that because children are delicate, we should keep them away from all potential harm. Such people assume that children flourish when they are protected. Is it true? Before answering the question, let's hear a story about peanuts. In the 1990s, American parents and teachers began to eliminate peanuts from children's diets. Since some children were allergic to peanuts, they deemed it wise to keep danger at bay. This movement soon developed to call for a total ban on all nuts and nut products in schools. What were the results of these precautions? Up until the mid-1990s, cases of peanut allergy were rare among children. In fact, only four out of a thousand children under the age of eight had such an allergy. But by 2008, the number rose to 14, three times higher than it was a decade before. Why did it happen? In 2015, a study overseen by the United Kingdom's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases discovered that cases of peanut allergy surged because parents and teachers had excluded peanuts from children's diets. The research team recruited 640 infants, all under a year old and all at high risk of developing a peanut allergy. They divided the infants into two groups. For the first group, the researchers suggested that parents follow the standard precaution, which, at the time, was to exclude all peanuts and peanut products from the infant's food. However, with the second group, they asked the parents to include regular small quantities of peanuts in the children's diet. When they turned five, the children were tested for an allergic reaction to peanuts. The research team discovered that 17% of the protected group had developed a peanut allergy, whereas only 3% in the exposed group had the same intolerance. The immune system's ability to distinguish between potential threats and safe foods to eat does not come naturally. Instead, it is acquired as the immune system actively adjusts to its changing environment. After exposure to a range of foods, bacteria, and even parasitic worms, the immune system learns how to respond to real threats and dismiss false alarms. Therefore, introducing something new after a prolonged period of avoidance, in this case, peanuts, the immune system initiates an immune response mistaking peanuts as a likely threat. By contrast, eating just a few peanuts on a regular basis allows the immune system to recognize peanuts as non-threatening. Vaccination uses the same logic. We learn how to fend off dangers after being exposed to small amounts of them. This makes us healthier in the long run. In short, small harms are not as scary as we think, they actually make us stronger. The same principle applies to children's mental health. Minor setbacks and dangers encourage children to explore and come up with their own ways to solve problems. Gradually, they become more resilient, less vulnerable, paranoid, subject to cognitive distortions, extreme behaviors, and mental issues such as anxiety and depression. Nevertheless, 
Not only are we not giving children the opportunity to learn through hardship, we protect them too much, both physically and mentally. We go to elaborate lengths to ensure that they are not hurt emotionally. So much so that even experienced college professors are warned to pay attention to what they say so that no student will feel offended. Now, let us get into bad idea too, always trust your feelings. In one of his other books, The Happiness Hypothesis, Haidt argues that our feelings are often unreliable. His concept is best understood through the metaphor of the rider and the elephant, where a tiny rider is perched on top of a massive elephant. Between them, who do you think is in control? Many people might intuit that the rider is in control of the elephant. And that's what the rider believes, too. But hate poses the question, if there is a conflict between them, who will have the better chance to take control? Even the rider will admit that he is no match for the elephant in this situation. And, if the rider is an amateur, will you still credit it that he's the one in charge? Of course, he's not. He goes wherever the elephant goes. The rider is more like the elephant's servant than its master. He has simply deceived himself into believing that he is able to steer the elephant. The rider represents our mind's conscious, controlled processes, whereas the elephant represents intuition, unconscious processes beyond our direct control. We often think we have total control over ourselves when in fact, intuition will always get the better of us. When our intuition comes from a negative emotion, we can easily slip into a second bad idea, that we should follow our feelings. Our feelings draw us into irrational reasoning, such as, I have low self-esteem, so my marriage is destined to fail, or, if I fail, my life will be ruined. Recently, some college professors popularized the concept of microaggression. This is a typical fallacy of the second type of bad idea. Coined by Harvard University professor Chester M. Pierce in 1970, microaggression is a term used for commonplace daily verbal or behavioral slights that communicate hostile or derogatory attitudes towards a marginalized group. Lukianoff and Haidt argue that entertaining the concept encourages students to judge people according to how they act rather than their intention. As a result, students assume the worst of people and see the world around them as inherently hostile. Protests, forming as a response to microaggressions, have occurred in many colleges in the United States. Students use a range of disruptive strategies to demand that specific speakers be banned from campus because particular students take offense in what they say and are made to feel uncomfortable. Now, let's look at bad idea 3, there's only us versus them. This dangerous idea has its root in the ancient tribal societies of our ancestors. In these cultures, rivalries between tribes often led to wars. To protect themselves, they adopted a mindset of, it's either you or me. It was a combative attitude, and it has been passed down through our genes. It makes us prone to dichotomous thoughts, us versus them. Unfortunately, it's easy to spot such an uncompromising mindset on campus nowadays, these thought patterns seize on certain theories such as intersectionality and misinterpret them. Intersectionality is an analytical framework used to understand how aspects of social and political identities combine, creating modes of discrimination and privilege. To illustrate this theory, 
University of Toronto professor Catherine Pauli Morgan came up with a diagram in which power is represented by a dichotomy separated by a central horizontal axis. The upper half of the diagram denotes privilege, the power to dominate, and the lower half denotes oppression, the lived experience of being dominated. Fourteen divisions slice through the central axis in sections like an intricate pie connecting opposite poles such as white and non-white and rich and poor. All the identities that give power, such as white skin and commanding wealth, are in the upper privileged area. Lukianoff and Haidt argue that this intersectional framework trains students to judge people from a binary moral perspective. They assume that there are only two types of people, those above, privileged and bad, and the good, oppressed people below the line. This schematic way of thinking solidifies into an us-versus-them mentality in students' minds. This divisive idea splits the world in two. We now identify those around us as either members of the same tribe or as evil others. From this position, we define our identity politics to guide us to collective action in opposition to a shared enemy. Identity politics refers to coalitions of people formed around shared characteristics such as race, gender, and sexuality. It is political because the shared identity group fosters the objective of achieving a common goal. For example, identity can be mobilized in ways that emphasize common humanity. A common humanity identity politics bridges religions and ethnicities, converting enemies so defined into friends through love. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a leading advocate of this form of identity politics. On the contrary, in the common enemy form of identity politics, people either assemble because they share a mutual enemy or simply consider their unified group as oppositional to non-members. A typical example is Adolf Hitler's use of persecution against Jewish and mass execution to unify and promulgate the Third Reich. As common enemy identity politics and ideas around microaggression gain traction in colleges, it has led to a call-out culture. Lukianhoff and Haidt characterize this culture as when a student gains prestige and notoriety through identifying and exposing low-level offenses committed by people around them. Consequentially, in a climate of fear, students are constantly vigilant and use self-censorship to shield themselves from being called out, committing a microaggression or offending others. They must be on their guard and relentlessly regulate their language, dreading being the next call-out victim. That concludes part one of this bookie. We talked about the three flawed ideas that are harming children. The first assumes that what doesn't kill a child will still make them weaker. By adopting this idea, we overprotect kids and deprive them of the opportunities to learn and grow up among the everyday risks. The second dubious idea is making children blindly follow their feelings. We encourage children to use their feelings to recognize potential threats instead of considering others' true intentions. As a result, they perceive that their world is inherently hostile. The third bad idea is us-versus-them thinking. It makes children believe that people can only be friends or foes. It is a mindset that puts them in endless and needless conflict with others. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for Buki at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now. Dir hat dieser Podcast gefallen? Dann klicke jetzt auf Abonnieren und empfehle ihn weiter. 
Bleib immer auf dem Laufenden und folge uns bei Twitter, Instagram und Facebook. Mehr Podcasts findest du auf meinpodcast.de.